Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Doing Thing podcast. As always, I'm joined with my friend and co-host, Jason Madden. How are you doing, Jason? Pretty good, man. How are you? Pretty, pretty, pretty good, as Larry, uh, what's his name, would say. Larry the Cable Guy, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> funny story. I saw Jeff Dunham last weekend. It was pretty, pretty funny. Uh, not my typical type of comedy you know, I'm not into puppet shows and stuff like that, but he's pretty, pretty good. He's like sharpened up a lot of new material over, uh, over the past year being stuck at home. <laughs> Two years. What a talented guy. Right. But yeah. um, when you, when you, if, if you're part of his world and you hear voices in your head, you just never know if it's actually him throwing his voice. <laughs> yeah. You never know. <laughs> wow. Cool. Cool. Well, you know, Jason proposed a topic that I thought was pretty compelling and interesting and um, this is around practical decision making. And those of you who don't know this, and probably most of you don't know this, Jason actually has a master's in project management. And practical decision making is a key component um, and a methodology applied to project management. So because I'm sitting here across the internet from you know a very trained and experienced expert, someone that you know ran projects around the world for the military and further this education, we're going to do a little interview and pick Jason's brain about, you know, what this is all about, how it applies to our lives, how we can take some of these principles and, you know, deal with yeah. simple to complex issues. So great suggestion on the topic. Thanks, man. And and I'd really like to, like, kind of put this in a perspective of either making um, decisions as a business owner as as an employee, uh, and even just like personal, just general personal professional decision making, because not everybody. I don't think all of our listeners are doing multinational projects or anything like that. And I don't want to. I don't want to speak over anybody's head, obviously. Um, so I want to be able to use um, practical insights on this, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does absolutely because you know when we face a new situation we have to make determinations on. There are things such as confirmation bias, right? That say, mm -hmm. I believe the world is this way, therefore I'm gonna make this decision because it fits within my worldview, which may or yeah. may not be correct, right? Um, mm -hmm. I was doing a little research so I could ask you some good questions. There is casino decision-making. <laughs> Do you know about that? <laughs> Rolling the dice, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, just kind of winging it, rolling the dice, see what happens and figure it out along the way, right? And, and, and that's um, a thing, neither of those what's that? I was gonna say that's a thing. I mean sometimes you've got to um sometimes you can't be hundred percent on information. You've gotta take a little bit of a gamble. You know, it's it's that it's what that what percentage of that decision, you know, are you gonna be comfortable with? Is it twenty five percent missing information? Is it thirty? Is it fifty? You know, it's like what's what's your comfort level there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's start to break this down a little bit. First of all, why did you feel this was a good topic for us to talk about today? I felt it was a good topic because coaching. Because when we coach people and we're helping them, you know, making huge life decisions, there's a lot of fear around that. And there's a lot of conversations revolving around that and a lot of information needed be, to be able to make what we call an informed decision. You know, I don't think choice is the proper word, proper term here. I think it's decision uh, because a, a choice is like 
you didn't have any other options. A decision is what you want to do. So the decision becomes a proactive um, direction that you take based on Deliberate. whatever criteria versus a choice where this or it's this. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So a choice is, do I want, here's a green M&M, here's a blue M&M, you know, pick one. Like, well, I want, I want, I want yellow, so I'm going to go find yellow. That's a decision. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. And so how does this topic relate to those folks listening to, to us today? And think about simple to complex terms. Well, I, I think one is, um, you know, you know, fear is a big thing. Fear is something that um, when it's not so much in like an actual project, right? In project management, fear is not an, a part of the equation. But when it comes to personal decisions, that's the biggest thing. Because what's the driver of fear? Lack of knowledge, lack of information. That's that's where fear really stems from. And and two, I think decision making is is something that when when we make decisions, we tend to feel like we know ourselves where we're at right now, but we don't take into account our future selves, which I don't know about you 10 years ago. I'm, I'm a completely different person than I was 10 years ago. And I think I think most people can say that. And, and if you're to if you're to think you're going to be exactly who you are right now, 10 years from now, I think I think you're probably wrong. So I think um, <laughs> it's just an assumption, probably, maybe you will be, but for the most part, I'm pretty sure that you're going to be a different, uh, not completely different person, obviously, but you're going to think a little bit differently, right? And you're going to do things a little bit differently. So taking into account, you know, what your future self will appreciate in your decisions is, is a really important thing, you know? So think about, you know, factor in how much older you're going to be, how much you know, more of an income you're going to be going to need or not need. Um, and then how much, you know, as we get older, we want more time. We want more free time and things like that too. So that's another equation. Do you think like right now you would want to do 40, 50 hour work weeks? Maybe, but 10 years from now, you think that's going to be something that you want to do? Probably not. So you want to be looking Probably for things. Not. Yeah, you want to be looking for a situation where you're maybe working three days a week or only four days a week or something like that. Funny that I kind of like put all this into like a, a career perspective a little bit. But I mean, that's that's where we're all at. That, everybody's very career minded in the United States. You know, there's a lot of folks saying that nobody wants to work because there's all these job openings. But it, the, the the fact is people do want to work, but they want to be able to create a lifestyle and, and a career for themselves. You can't do that at McDonald's at nine, $10 an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, McDonald's, but you gotta, you gotta get some more incentives. You gotta get a 401k program. You gotta get medical. You gotta do all this other stuff. You gotta pay people better. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the, one of the first and most important inside voice conversations that maybe gets reduced to writing on a piece of paper or tablet or into a spreadsheet is what do i want to see myself be 10 years from now mm -hmm. what will 10 years look like what will how will my priorities shift and change um so i guess in practical decision making we're taking a longer term approach to things than yeah. i'm going to leave mcdonald's and go to burger king because i get a 10 cent per hour raise <laughs> well we've talked about the smart smart goals kind of platform before it, 
we'll have to reference the episode in the notes because that was a little while ago. But we talked about smart goals before. But another thing that's you know key in decision making in projects is SWOT assessment: your your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. That's the first and foremost thing that you should do uh, before making any kinds of decisions is that SWOT assessment. Kind of get a good perspective of where you are and where you're going first. And, and using those SMART goals as kind of a guideline uh, to kind of drive that a little bit. So let's explore that a little bit. So certainly SWOT analysis is important. It can take the shape of a lot of different um, forms, questionnaires, but in its essence, what it gets us to do is probably most important, shine a light on those uh, 3 a.m. issues that keep us up at night, look at the risks we're looking to mitigate, right? Yeah. We're all wired mm -hmm. to, um, you know, address fear and risk first. So what are those fears? What are those risks? You may yeah. not have an answer to the mitigation of them, but sometimes just calling out that big, hairy, ugly monster <laughs> yeah. and, you know, giving it a name becomes important. How, how does the strength and opportunity play into this equation of decision-making? It's because strengths, I mean, that's something that um, you want to, you want to leverage, right? You know, it, it's, it's a uh, very clear if you're, if you're, if you're strong in, in, a, in a, a certain area of business or career or whatever, you want to be able to exploit that to the best of your ability to be able to do better. Right. And that that opens up opportunities for you as well. Now, not a lot of people have noticed um, when it comes to like career transition, um, you, you have two camps. You have people that that want to completely play against their strengths, towards their strengths, rather, and, and, and exploit them and use them as opportunities. And others find opportunity in leaving those strengths behind and looking for new things all together, which is very counterintuitive, but I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool because they, you could find ways to use your leverage, your strengths and not just the way that you've done in the past. You know, a, a good example of that is, um, let's see, project management is my strength, right? We can just go right back into this. I've, I've done multinational projects through Africa, Italy, Iraq, uh, all over the world. And I come out, I'm done with the military and, you know, I've got this, you know, high level project manager strength, but I did not go into, you know, the corporate world. I didn't go into uh, khaki doing, you know, counterintelligence analysis and, and projects or intelligence projects or anything like that. No, I, I went into my own business and, and I'm doing projects on a much, much smaller and personal scale. And you know what, I'm able to actually manage those projects at such a intimate level that they all become successful for the most part, because I'm just so intuitive to what's going on. There's less pieces moving and things like that, but it's not a project management business that I'm in. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so you don't have to, like a lot of guys that I work with, they, um, you know, they have specific skills and things like that because that's what the military teaches you. A lot of people I work with are military. A lot of people I work with in the corporate world. And then, you know, corporate world is like a really good uh, example of that because you have a finance guy. They hardly ever do an actual career transition. They, you know, you don't see a finance guy moving from finance to legal or HR or something like that. You, 
if they go to another job, they're doing another finance job. Um, with a the military, they actually have to do a real career transition. Like imagine an infantryman, you know, a guy like who come to 11 bang bangs, right? In the army, um, <laughs> bang, bang, right? So that's, that's a skill that, um, you know, you don't see a lot in the civilian world unless you're like a SWAT officer or something like that. Not very many people go into that. So they have to transition some of these other skills that they've gotten. You know, maybe their strength was being able to shoot, you know, 40 out of 40 at the range and hit a target at 500 meters. But, you know, what's, what are the underlying skills in that? You know, what are the things that helped you get to that point? You know, there, there's organization, there's there's leadership and things like that to, you know, get a whole platoon out there to do something like that. And then you had to do a real actual career transition. Um, so so that's kind of where those two camps kind of branch off and lie for me. And and I think it should be important to kind of put that into, into consideration on that SWOT analysis and, and take into effect, you know, Take into account the indirect actions and of others, and um, I'm kind of losing my train of thought there. Indirect actions of yourself and what <laughs> others are doing, right? Because that's part of the SWOT assessment. I hope I didn't like confuse you on that. <laughs> I threw a lot out there. No, but you know, one of the things, I, one of the many things I love about our conversations is I never know which direction they're going to go, and this one yeah. turned in the direction of career decisions, and I think it's a compelling and interesting. Uh, way to evaluate decision making. And so first thing I might change the word decision to option. Right? Okay. Exercising an option. I, I might suggest that if you're good with that. Exercising um, an option. Then, yeah. The, the second thing I might want to explore, and I think you touched on it very effectively. So in the context of a career change, we're talking about strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat, right? And if you've been, say, and I'm using a real client example here, if you've been in human resource leadership for the majority of your career, it might be easy on the employment market to, one, list that as your strength, and two, narrow your focus to other HR opportunities, right, mm -hmm. naturally. And sort of the um, traditional corporate market drives itself in that direction, whether you want it to or not. Very hard to leave accounting and become an HR person or leave HR and become an accounting person um, because the rules of the road are if you have experience doing this then I want to talk to you if you don't I don't um, but when you start to peel the onion back and I had a good conversation with a very senior level HR person recently she's like I really love HR cool what do you love about it well I love interacting with teams I love people development mm -hmm. I love seeing benefits administration plans, evaluating the, the metrics of them, implementing things that benefit the staff that I work with. I love leadership development courses and, you know, putting those together. I feel it's important to have good performance management systems in place. So I always champion that. Um, she told me about a, a bunch of major initiatives she was, belonged in, uh, she was involved in. And I'm like, honestly, what I'm hearing, all of those things you're saying, are involved, can be involved in having your own organization yourself because yeah. all of those competencies come to play and we don't have to title them HR. Let's look at those transferable skills below that HR bucket and find ways to apply them across yeah. a myriad of options, right? Yeah. And that all of a sudden changed things. So I guess the question becomes when you say strengths, is it strengths verbatim 
or does it need to be broken down below to the subset? I think it needs to be broken down. I, I, I don't think you, I don't, I don't think that you should, you know, paint it black and white. I think, uh, I think there, there's some gray areas and there's some color there that, that need to be addressed. Interesting. Interesting. So we've done our SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunity, threat. Um, what comes next? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, using the smart, um, smart framework. I mean, then you're going into execution. You're putting together and you're going into execution mm. because that at that point you should have you should have time defined as well. So define time, define execution, and, and start building it from there. Um, so when you say execution, I assume that we're not taking a leap from a SWOT analysis to an action that like, okay, now we've decided this and we're going to go do this. But instead we're saying, what do we learn from that matrix? And what do we need to further investigate, ask, determine in order to get to the right step? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, I mean, execution is defined in the literal term of execute. But you're right, there are some subtasks in there before ex execution on there. So, so before SWAT, you always have stakeholders. So stakeholders, you know, in your personal life, that's, that's, that's friends, family, et cetera. Uh, in a business, obviously it's the boss, it's the COO, whoever external components on there. Um, and then, and then um, after that SWAT, you want to determine the time. You want to determine the time frame, so you know project starts six months from now, or project starts immediately, depending on on all that stuff. But you also want to take into a consideration like the financial aspect of it too. So finance on the project, you know, that's going to come into the SWOT analysis a little bit as well. You know, that's so we're know. talking assets. Yeah, assets, assets and resources. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, let's visit. And again, keeping this in the context of people considering career change, because that's what we do for a living one and two, we've kind of walked down that road pretty far together already. Mm -hmm. We talk about stakeholders being family, friends, loved ones, spouses, right? Mm -hmm. How many times does it happen to you that you're working with a client who actively is considering a career change and really wants to make a move and says to you, well, you know, I haven't talked to my husband or wife yet. They tend to support everything that I do, and you know, I'll bring them into the fold at one point in the future. What's the uh -huh. downside risk from career change all the way through decision making, not involving the stakeholders in the process? It's huge, man. It's huge. And and, and honestly, to, to answer your question, doesn't happen to me anymore ever because I include that in the damn SWOT analysis. <laughs> I need your spouse. Uh, your spouse needs to be included in that. You need you need to bring in your stakeholders. Um, it, because it could be catastrophic. It could be catastrophic. You could build a plan and, and make a make a great framework for 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 a job in a project execution. But if you're missing some key components and key people in it, that's never going to happen the way you want it to happen. It's not going to do it. It's just not going to work. So it's all about you know, in like drawing an analogy. I live in San Diego, California, right? And we love it here and everything, but. One day, I, my wife comes home and I tell her, hey, honey, I sold the house. I bought a house in Kansas City, and guess what? We're moving. And she's known nothing about all the she's other gonna, aspects of this, right? She's going to bring get that 
Kung Fu Shaolin Temple sword off the wall. <laughs> She's going to cut you. <laughs> Pretty much, right? So, you know, one of the things that as we get to a decision-making place, absolutely involving stakeholders, understanding from their perspective, what do they see as the upsides? What do they see as the downside risks? And finding ways to address those. And -hmm. sometimes they're valid concerns. I might want to move to Kansas City, but when I sit down with my wife and explain my my reasons, she might share other reasons that make me change my mind, right? And I think she knows you just as well as you know yourself, if not better. Hundred percent. And there might be some personal goals she has that this gets in the way of. And so Mm -hmm. that conversation about upside downside risk with stakeholders who the decision affects in all aspects, regardless of decision is, is super critical. Yeah. So then now we've got that out of the way. What comes after? After execution. Yeah. Well, lots of subtasks within execution. Everybody has their roles, you know, so, so what kind of analogy should we use for execution? Is it going to start a business? Is it going to be starting a new job? a new role or something like that. Um, no, you pick. So we come into execution, then we, then we, honestly, after execution is complete, you, you switch to, you switch from project management to operations. Honestly, quite honestly, if the project is successful, you, you've accomplished building what you're going to build or making the change that you're going to change, you got to switch to operations. You got to switch your mindset a little bit. And you got to start thinking more, more forward, more future focused, rather than that um, that time frame that you've allocated for yourself for the project, because that has to end. It has to end at some point, right? So, so then you got to be either operations focused or go find another project. You know, if you're a project manager, that's what you're going to do. You're going to go find another project and sub projects to support the, the current project. But if it's just you and it's your own organization, it's your own business, it's your own job and things like that, you got to switch to operations. And then you got to become an expert. You got to be skilled. You got to be really good at your time. You got to be really good with your people and everything else in between. Beautiful answer. And, you know, I might add to that thought about operations is to say, so first of all, we don't want to make snap decisions and just rush into something without thinking it through. Conversely, we don't want to get stuck with paralysis of analysis. (laughs) It was hard to get out for some reason. Um, Somewhere in between becomes a logic-driven, measurable evaluation process. And the fallacy, though, is that that process in and of itself can get us to 100% conviction. Because we don't know from one day to the next if what we chose to do is, is going to turn out the way that we expected it to. Yeah. So there'll always be that 10%, and that 10% resides within us, right? Mm-hmm. So we get to a 90% place that whatever we're determining to do is a good thing to do. We have to then acknowledge that extra 10% look within for a little bit and allow ourselves permission to, you know, feel a little nervous every once in a while, hear a voice inside our head a little bit uh, every once in a while. And the way to address that 10% remaining is also metrics-driven focus. It's also saying, when I made this decision, whatever it was, I set out to accomplish the following things in the following timeline. I'm now going to put checks and balances in place 
to make sure that each of the increments right. that will lead me to that place are, are being executed in the way that they need to. And if they're not, I'm going to look for resources, you know, folks I can talk to, whatever it may be, yeah. to fix that little bit to get to where I'm get, getting to long term, right? Well, yeah, you got you got you have to think of risk mitigation at the very beginning, you know, and that's that's your dangers, right? That's the that's the risk mitigation part. So, thinking about the 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 final um, outcome of your project, there there's probably a few things that you can think of as you're going through that SWOT analysis that could go right, that could go wrong, and what those wrong things could be. And and so you should already be prepared with those mitigating um, factors for for those you know for those um, those weaknesses or those threats or whatever. Um, whether it's it's a resource, whether it's a person, um, whether it's a document, you know, whatever whatever that might be, um, you should already have have that in like the uh, proverbial you know break in case of fire case, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we we can it, is it okay if I curse? Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we might call that the oh shit kit too. Yeah, we, we get one per episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we just used up ours for this one. We we max um, it out. PG thirteen. Fantastic, insightful conversation. I learned a lot along the way. Um, great to know the level of expertise you have. And I wonder before we wrap up the session, do you have any closing thoughts on the topic you'd like to share? Well, you know, it, it's hard to wrap up, uh, you know, like two years of higher education on project management to a 15 minute episode. But uh, I think I think the high level stuff really that you want to focus on when when making a choice is is that SWOT assessment and using those SMART goals. Um, and, and also your stakeholders. You want to be able to coordinate very closely with your, your key stakeholders moving forward on those things. So whether that's a spouse or a trusted colleague or a mentor or something like that, you want to get them involved. Yeah, especially someone who is willing to tell you the, the truth, even if it's the tough truth. Yeah, yeah. You want somebody that's going to be honest with you. You don't want any fluff. I mean, yep. Good stuff, that, Jason. Fantastic yeah, insights, man. Really appreciated digging into this. Great suggestion on the topic. And I guess it'll be my turn next week to come up with our next conversation. Actually, next week we have a special guest. We're going to have Holly oh, Donner right. with us next week, and we're going to start talking a little bit about business entity formation. So a lot of times I get people ask me online, uh, they ask me during our sessions and things like that. It's like, what's the, what's the best business entity for what I'm trying to do as far as starting my business and things like that? Is it, should I be a sole proprietor? Should I be an LLC? Should I have a S-Corp? What what are the benefits, the pros and cons of doing something like a C corp if you're if you're planning to do some type of Rob's program or something like that? Which you could check out our finance episode to, to find out what a Rob's means. But um, <laughs> she's gonna come here and she's gonna answer all those questions. We're gonna we're actually gonna get them in the Facebook group. Anybody that has any kind of questions on that, she's gonna write them down. And she's gonna address them. We're gonna have a nice 20, 30 minute conversation with her. Outstanding. Yeah. And I apologize not remembering that that was scheduled for next week. I think that's going to be a powerful session. I'm really looking forward I to agree. it. 
Me too, man. Me too. Because then we can record this and we can direct those inquisitive minds to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, good energy. Great conversation. Hope all of you enjoyed it. Please like, listen, share, and join us next week for a really important call. All right. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, brother. See you all next week. Bye.